For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Epic Realms. I'm your host, Nick. Today, we are joined by an award-winning author, sailor, and scientist, Chris Jackson. Chris, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? You got to tell me about this um, about the scientist that I see on your on your Twitter page. Yep. It. Uh, yep. What, how did that start? What is that? I mean, tell me about that. Well, that was kind of my you know chosen career um, from the get go. Um, I was, I was always interested in fantasy, science fiction, stuff like that, but I was, it was kind of a hobby, um, you know, a sideline. I like to read, I like to watch movies, gaming, things like that, of course. I, I kind of thought, well, I'm never going to make a living at it. And I really loved biology. I really loved marine biology specifically. And so um, college and grad school, um, that was pretty much my focus. Then in grad school, I kind of realized, well, you know, if I go along and get higher level degrees at this, the, the income level just really isn't what I want. So I kind of pitched myself to biomedicine. Uh, biomedicine is like genetics, immunology, things like that, that are all related to medicine. And uh, I started out as lab tech and doubled my salary from working in my field, uh, which was uh, working at a marine lab in Galveston, Texas. I walked across the street almost, and uh, started working at University of Texas Medical Branch for uh, an, an immunologist who worked for the medical school. And um, just kind of worked my way up there and got more and more experience. We moved to Florida. I started working for um, University of South Florida, running a lab for them, uh, much more medical. I was in the anesthesiology department, so I actually got to work in the hospital sometimes. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. At the time, it was interesting because I had a phobia of hospitals. I hated them. Absolutely hated them. <laughs> Um, yeah, I had some bad experiences. I was going to say, oh, the irony. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you work through it, you get over it. The really weird thing was I also got into teaching a little bit, too. They were running a um, human patient simulator lab where you have a, basically a dummy, a patient, but you can do virtually anything you can do to a real patient on that dummy. Uh, CPR, defibrillation, putting in IVs, putting in chest tubes intubating all these things that anesthesiologists and critical care medicine people do. And after about five years of just running the lab for the, the um, instructor, I was teaching it at me, bachelor of science degree, not a physician, uh, teaching a bunch of medical students and residents. And it was really fun. But, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I, I knew the science, I knew the medicine. Um, so the more you do, the better you get at it, right? And uh, when I finally decided to quit and go sailing, I was director of research for, for the anesthesia department. Holy cow. I had so, no idea. After, yeah. You know, we've, we've talked a handful of times and whatnot. Right. And it's like, I, 
didn't didn't know any of that. So that's really uh, cool. But I really wanted to be a marine biologist, and it's not ironic at all because I, I met my wife in grad school playing D and D. As a matter of fact, <laughs> nice. yeah, and she was in the marine biology program, and um, so we had a lot in common. And um, she went on to get a PhD in biology and working at a marine science institute in Florida. And so we both worked for the state and it worked out beautifully. I got to kind of live vicariously through her and I helped her. I helped her with her research. I helped her with her PhD um, because, you know, I went to grad school. I know, I know yeah. experimental design. So, so, you know, she would bounce ideas off me and we'd both get something out of it. And she, she had somebody that she could, she could bounce ideas off of without having to go to her advisor or something like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Where we last, last time I chatted with you while we didn't chat about that, we did chat about a ton of your books. We kind of got caught up to at that point uh, where we were at. We talked a bit about your Weapon of Flesh series and how I found about, out about you was through the Pathfinder Tales books mm-hmm. when you were, Ben, I actually got, I actually got the one you signed for me right here, Yay. which the people can't see because Zoom likes to blurt out. Uh, I've actually been showing that book all week on, 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 uh, on my Twitch stream. Mm-hmm. So it's like to have it sitting there, it's like every time I look at it, I go, okay, this is a really cool series. And there was supposed to be another one coming out. And that's kind of where we left off. Right. Two more. Yeah. What, what happened? What, I mean, if you're at liberty to say, what kind of, how, how did that yeah, kind of it's fall not a, It's not a big secret. secret. Paizo um, wasn't making enough money really on, on the Pathfinder Tales line. They, so they just dropped the whole line. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but you know, publishing is a business. So, and they were so much better at putting their energies and money into publishing games that um, it was kind of a thing that the higher ups in, in the in the business decided, well, let's just let this slide. And uh, it was very sad for um, about six or eight books, I think, got orphaned there. Now, I was paid for them. I wrote them. I was paid for them. Okay. They're still sitting there. And every once in a while, I'll get I'll get emails from the new editor. And uh, oh, Mark Morland is his name. And uh, they're interested in maybe just putting them out. And I'm like... Great, fantastic. If you have edits on any of them, you want to bounce them up because I've already been paid for them. Yeah. I mean, if they earn out, I will earn royalties on those books. But I just I would love for people to to read them because I mean it takes it takes two sets of characters and kind of kind of they go different directions and they're they're very good books. I, I enjoyed them. Yeah. Um, it's writing is a thing that that it's a business, so you have to kind of take things like that and just roll with it you know move on so yeah if it happens i'm i will be there cheering from the sidelines did that uh, give you time to put more work into other stuff that you had um, you know other books other series because you you came out you've got your blood sea tales and i'm pretty sure that came out after the pathfinder tales didn't it it totally did and yes pathfinder tales blood sea tales i totally ripped that off <laughs> i was i was wondering i was kind of curious no, if that it's was... a good it's it, it it rolls off the tongue, you know, and so you know me, you know the the Weapon of Flesh series, the the Scimitar Seas novels. Those are written in my own world, and so um, I decided to expand the world and actually map out the entire planet and um, write something that is a little bit on the other side of the map and um, a little bit more adulty, a little bit rougher around the edges, a little bit more. Not, not really much more violent than the Pathfinder Tales, but a lot more, um, how do you want to say it? Mm, 
I don't want to say it's not dark at all, but a lot more adult themed. Yeah. Um, bad things happen. Yeah. Um, more serious content. Right. Yeah. And um, but you know, rollicking good tales, fun characters. The this that series, the Blood Sea Tales, is four books have been published. And because I always have secondary characters that are screaming at me from the sidelines, like I did with the uh with the um a weapon of flesh series. Uh, that they wanted to have their story told. So a secondary character was screaming at me and she was awesome. So I'm continuing the story. So we have two more books that are going to come out. So I might branch off from there and go different directions, but fun stuff, you know. And, and the, the art on those, those, the art on those Bloods you know, Tales, those I'm are amazing so art. lucky. Um, Fiona, I can't remember. Uh, she, she's a graphic artist. Those, those pieces are actual models the, the pictures are actual models. And then she like photoshops all the rest of it in layers. And she's a, she's brilliant. And I love her work. And I got a recommendation from an author friend of mine, um, Small World. And uh, I jumped on it with both feet. Yeah, she's going to be my my new cover artist for, for as long as she'll have me. Yeah, those are gorgeous. I love the the lighting and and everything I've yes. got sitting up here in front shading, of me. Shading is just awesome. Anybody listening wanted to go to jacksbooks.com, they can go ahead, definitely look at all of them and get the get the books there as well. Uh, just some, I mean, don't get me wrong. Almost all of your books have some amazing cover. Even the Weapon of Flesh for for when some of those came out, that art was fantastic. Well, the first, that that cover for the first with the Weapon of Flesh books is honestly I the reason I think it took off because buying books is a visual thing. I mean, right. do, people do buy books by the cover. And that that cover, the Weapon of Flesh cover itself, um, is so eye-catching and so different that people look at it and then look back again, what the hell? And, you know, that's the hook. And then they read the story and it's like, oh, interesting, right? So, so that was the reason that took off. And it really took off. I mean, when, when it... And the book had been out for years before, uh, I think three years, before it finally kicked on Kindle. And just went ballistic, literally went ballistic. I was selling like 100, 150, 200 books a day. Is that still your best series, your best selling series? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Across the board, including as far as I know, all of the um, books that I've done for publishers as well. That might change here recently because I have a new publisher coming out, uh, book release tomorrow. So that's exciting with uh, Shadow Valley Press. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, uh, I went to go link them and I was like, they don't have much of a social media presence, but yeah, that they, they, they got a lot of stuff that they put out. They publish a lot of gaming related stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, on, on Facebook, you want to go for their new universe. It's a, their new science fiction universe. It's called the five fold universe. And uh, you'll find that on Facebook and all the new releases. And <laughs> I got picked for that by doing something like this um we were doing something for continual and it was about world building okay and i got to talking with the guy who's building world for shadow ellie press because he he started writing a book and he said i need to flesh out the world first universe because it's hard sci-fi far future and uh he took like five years fleshing out this universe and wow. did a bang up job um gj Bowden, he's a brilliant brilliant world builder and writer his his first series is uh very very good not his first th this isn't his first writing effort but his first his first books in the fivefold universe but uh, he and i got to talking and he says well i'm looking for authors and it's like 
and this is the thing about too many projects, right? Not to segue, but um, I can't. I, I have difficulty saying no. Yeah. Uh, to people who offer me writing gigs. And well, let's so, let's go back real quick to that to sure. the Pacifica. Yeah, because uh, that's uh, that's the book you're talking about, right? Yes, Pacifica is the first of the Eldon Northcliffe series, right? So, this is set in this other world, and is that going to be an RPG world as well, um, or is it already one? I I know it's not right now, but you never know. It might be. It it might be because um, Shadow Valley Press does work with gaming licenses and stuff like that but they're definitely doing audiobooks for these okay. uh Alley is very much into putting out audios they make a lot of income doing audios which i'm 100 behind this is going to be brilliant on audio and um it this is a different this isn't your typical science fiction novel pacific isn't but it, it's the first it it's the first in a saga um i think uh, we're planning six novels in this series the start out is um, this guy is basically on probation, reprimanded. He's works for the federal fleet, which is a galaxy wide, like policing military. And he, they sent him home. They sent him home to his home world, which is a, a water world with atolls. You know, it has uh, hundreds of small islands. But, and not uh, the Kevin Costner water world, right? No. <laughs> You know, people <laughs> act on that book a lot, but um, yeah, logically it was pretty silly, but you know, I loved it. <laughs> I like the movie. The movie was fantastic as far yeah. as I was concerned. I don't care what people say. <laughs> they can right. flame me online yeah. about it all they want. Right. The, the, cinema, the cinematography was really good. I loved it. Right. But uh, so I got to write a sailing novel in a far future science fiction world uh, universe. And it was so much fun. I just... It was one of those projects that I couldn't put down. I, I think I wrote the first draft in about six weeks. So, oh wow! Yeah, that, that's that's when I know I'm into something. Is I'm. Well, is this? Did, did it have a little bit of a different feel than the other books you were you usually write? Yes, very much. Um, I've written science fiction before, but this is the first one I've ever had published. I've always kind of steered more toward fantasy because, honestly, I am not a tech person. I'm a biologist, right? Right. Um, if you, if you want to talk about injuries and medicine and things like that, I'm right there with you. Even genetics, um, which is what we got into, what I got into with the Dragon Dreams or the Dragons of Boston series with uh, Falstaff, because hey, I'm a scientist. My wife is a scientist. Right. We know what we're talking about. But as far as like physics, space travel, quantum theory, stuff like that, it just makes my brain hurt. It's nice. This is really great for me because this is my world. This is DJ's world. And anytime I have a question on his world, I just bounce it off of him. And he says, well, it's like this. And, I'm like, and I'll argue with him a little bit. Well, does this work? How does that work? Uh, right. And, right. But we bounce, you know, we might argue a lot, but at the same time, we're both playing off of each other. I mean, yeah. he knows I'm a good writer. I know he's a good writer. He's a great world builder. He also respects my ability to look at something critically and say, okay, that's great, but how does it work in this instance? And right. so- he values my input and back and forth. So together we are really doing well. Um, so, yeah. Well, and coffee's no good without a filter. I mean, and that's kind of what you need to, right. you know, and that's, that's what, what you need to do. Like filters. without, if, if, if you're the one always calling the shots and nobody says no to you, mm -hmm. yes, all of the really good ideas are going to get <laughs> through, but all the garbage might get through too. But without, but if there's somebody there to say, Hey, what about this? Like you're talking about, it it fleshes it out better and you can get a better better feel for the world you know or or 
go like, you know, the readers aren't going to look at it and go, right. oh, well, what the heck is this, right? This one little thing right here that, and they'll nitpick at it. Right. But when you have someone like yourself helping someone or vice versa, you're talking out, it's like, oh yeah, that's a, uh, you know, either way it filters out those little, little details. Right. Is that something you had for your books or for a lot of your books? Is it like, oh, this sure. is mine? And I didn't really my, have much other than maybe an editor or something. Myself uh, published stuff. Initially it started out um, in gaming. And um, so I used a lot of the basic tropes, but my wife has always been my editor for those books. And we actually co-wrote some of those books, the uh, Cornerstones trilogy. She's very good at, at catching things that I leave out because it's up here and sometimes it doesn't hit the page. That's my best and first advice for anybody who's looking into self-publishing is find an editor. I wouldn't recommend that you use your significant other as your editor, um, unless it's a super strong relationship and they know what they're doing because um, it can ruin a relationship, honestly. And I value my marriage a lot more than I value my writing career. Right, right. Um, and we, well, it can ruin the writing too, right? It can. <laughs> if somebody it, it, doesn't know what yeah. they're doing, they could give you all the wrong advice and make it even worse. So Exactly. But, you know, beta readers, editing, you need an editor. For instance, the, the Weapon of Flesh book, the first one. Um, it was one of my first three novels that I ever self-published. And I actually went out and, and, and hired and paid a line editor, a copy editor, professional copy editor, to read that book and redline it. Um, and it's a better book because I did. Um, because as far as like grammatical things and all like that, you learn a lot as you write and write more and more, but still referencing the rules every time you have a comma question versus hiring somebody to do a copy, copy edit. And yeah, it wasn't really that expensive, yeah. um, but worth every penny, you know? So, and that's part of the reason I think that that book took off is it, you know, you don't have to bleed through your eyes to read it, you know? <laughs> right. You did some stuff for uh, Privateer Press as well. Yes. Um, and Fantasy Flight, Arkham Horror, Shadowrun. Yes. Tell us about some of those. I mean, those Ar are those are three those are three names in the gaming world that are pretty big, you know, yeah, pretty pretty well known. Yeah, um, the the uh, Iron Kingdoms one. Um, okay, so I I've written two books for Paizo, and the interesting thing about um, tie-in gaming fiction is it's a very small world, and I was going to Gen Con. That's where I got the first deal for the first Paizo book. I walked up to James Sutter and said you have a whole lot of water on your map and nobody writing you pirate books and I'm your guy. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, send me something. And we hit it off. And then he had a book drop out of his series. And he says, can you give me a book in a few months? You know, like five months. I was like, not a problem. <laughs> and, you know, and I've written a short story for him. Stargazer. It's on their website. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so then um, I, uh, I have a table at Gen Con every year, an author table, because I always like to meet my fans. A lot of authors don't do that. I love it. Not saying authors should do it, but I love it. And a guy walks up to my table and um, I didn't know him. And he said, hi, I'm Aaron Riddell. I said, hi, I'm Chris Jackson. And uh, he says, um, so I, I work for a company called Privateer Press. And it's kind of embarrassing because we're Privateer Press and we have no pirate books. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, I can fix that for you. <laughs> and he said, okay, let's talk. And so we talked by email and he said, you know, I, we have these 
you know, iconic characters that we'd like to flesh out and, you know, write me a novella and I wrote him a novella and that was well received. And then I wrote a novel and pretty decent relationship. Arkham but Horror? That, yeah, the, that came out of left field nowhere. Okay. Um, uh, I actually got an email from my editor for that series for they put out a bunch of novellas arkham horror novellas mm-hmm. me dave gross uh richard lee byers a bunch of tie-in writers i had never written horror ever before i was familiar with arkham horror i had played some of the arkham horror games i was familiar with the character they wanted me to write and uh they wanted somebody with nautical experience to write their sailor character silas marsh and I had a ball doing it. And what was really interesting is what I didn't know about horror is the pacing of the story, a horror story is completely different than the pacing for a science fiction or a fantasy novel. And my wife who reads horror pointed that out to me, says, no, 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 no. You didn't start out slow. You don't start out with the bang. You start out slow and build the tension just like, like footsteps in the dark. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, great. And I had a great editor for that, ser- for that book, for that uh, novel, a uh, novella, novella. And, uh, and they, they marketed hardcover novellas. I don't know if you've seen the book. I have, um, it looks, it looks really cool. <laughs> gorgeous. And, and they were limited print run. I only ever got in my hand, I think um, 15 copies. And those sold like hotcakes, except for the one I kept for myself. I mean, they're gorgeous. They have yeah. back matter in color. It's gorgeous. I actually got to like modify, help them with the back matter. I modified a, 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 a nautical chart, an actual digital nautical chart of nice. the, the Cape Ann area, north of Cape Ann for uh, Devil's Reef and, and put in the little hole where I put them shipwreck and all. oh God, it was fun. Nice. Um, yeah, it was totally a win. And, you know, and they didn't publish any more after that. So <laughs> like I said, you kind of roll with it. Right. Um, and I did a series of short stories for a gaming, a smaller gaming company, uh, Legendary Games. Their Legendary Planets was kind of like a science fantasy series of, uh, it was a adventure path, um, a module. And I wrote a short story of the same character in each one, you know, stepping up as the game got bigger and bigger and bigger. That was fun. And, oh, and Catalyst. Uh, yeah, um, I love Shadowrun. I've always loved the world. And getting to write in it, in it was just so much fun. And again, trying to get something different out there I decided to do a Caribbean shadow run. And uh, I wrote two short stories in a novella for that uh, project. Um, the first one is called Sweating Bullets. And the second one is called uh, Dia de los Muertos, which is the day of the dead. And the third one is called, called Crocodile Tears. And the first two follow one character and then I spin off a character, again, spin off character who was going me, 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 me. And uh, I run, a uh, that's the novella crocodile tears a lot of fun one of the main characters the one who is the primary character in the in the in the novella is um his name is ting and if you've spent any time in the caribbean you know the accent they they oh yeah yeah so ting I, what's that about it's because my mother always said i was a prettiest little ting <laughs> and the thing is He's a Rastafarian troll shaman. 
So he's 10 feet tall, five feet wide, belly out to here, dreads down to here, and his name is Ting because he's a pretty little Ting. You know, so it's a joke within a joke. Um, but uh, great characters. I just love them. And working with John Helpers was fantastic. He was my editor at, at uh, Catalyst. A uh, okay. really sharp guy. Um, he He's editor for a bunch of different um, gaming properties. So, yeah. Have you role-played Shadowrun as well then? I have. Um, I, I love it. Um, I've even GM'd it. Um, and not to disparage the game at all, but I find the combat kind of clunky. So I, okay. I when I GM it, I kind of rough it. Off, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, big dice pools, you know, massive dice pools. Let's roll 20d6s, you know. Did you grow up role playing then? Oh, like, well, when you were a kid, because um, I know I was, you mentioned that you that role playing is kind of how you got into the writing, really. Yeah, as yeah, um, I started gaming in high school, uh, that's when DD was just DD, right. Um, and then it was AD and D, and then it was D and D two point oh, and then it was da, 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 da. right, right. Um, but uh, um, so I was really hooked, and I wanted to. I've always loved to tell stories, um, so GMing is basically creating a story, creating a world, and and running with it. And right. basically, that teaches you storytelling skills, plot, characterization, and setting. And if you've got those three legs of your of your thing together. You you've pretty got what's pretty much got what you need to to be a writer. You know, the more you write, the better you get at it. Um, right. So, did that affect? Did your role playing? You know, you're enjoying your role playing. Did that ever affect your say your schooling or your your actual as a kid growing up? Like, um, were you good in school? Like, were you like a good at writing and like literature and all that kind of stuff? Were you good at that, or did you have different focuses you get at besides science? Of course. Um, it was interesting because it was kind of the other way around being a pretty decent writer being able to write a cognizant email or, or uh, um, a research plan or something like that that somebody could read and understand uh, helped me further my science career a lot. Um, in fact, that's probably what got me up to the level of director of research is, is I can write. Right. Um, but as far as like in high school and middle school and growing up and stuff. I was a moderate student. I was, certainly wasn't a straight A student. Um, uh, math hurts my brain. I love it. I think it's fascinating, but I'm not very good at it because yeah. I don't have that kind of memory. Uh, biology, on the other hand, makes sense to me. And, um, you know, evolutionary biology, things like that, I find super fascinating and logical and really fun to play with. Um, genetic engineering is, I mean, and this is something I get into with the um, the Dragon Dreams books, uh, the Dragons of Boston books with Paul Steph is, you know, there's we know more about astrophysics than we do about the genomes. Right. You know I mean? We yes, we've mapped the human genome. That's like that's like taking all of the street names off of a map of the world and saying, "Here you go. Here's your map." Yeah. So we have to we have to interpret all of this, and and the gist of that whole series is, you know, people will say, "Well, they're ninety percent or ninety five percent of the human genome." is junk, it's old genes, it's it's a billion years of evolution watered up into a bottle and then only 5% of it is us. Um, and the interesting thing is there's a lot of inactivated genes in the human genome that all they need is a switch to turn them on. That's This is real. And um, so I was thinking, 
you know, reading a lot of old science fiction. What if there's something else in the human genome? What if there's a third step in our in our in our um, phylogeny? We're we're kids. We're adults. What if there's another step? That's like the Protector series uh, that uh, Larry Niven wrote way back in the day. Um, and um, so I figured, okay, what if there's a genetic switch that changes somebody into something else? That's like the protector of the human race, which is which is how we, you know, we're able to, you know, survive lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! <laughs> right. You know what I mean? We don't have claws. We don't have teeth. We you know, we climb trees really well and we run pretty fast and, you know, we're amazing athletes evolutionarily, but when it comes down to it, we're soft, pink and taste good. Right. So, but that's how that whole series worked out. Okay. When, uh, when you were coming up, you know, did you have any inspirations before, you know, when you first started writing and like publishing, did you take inspirations from movies pop culture you know things like that and incorporate them and are there any that really stand out to you mostly books um i love the idea of a flawed main character um and um i have three main authors lots of authors that i i love but three main authors that i, that I really love their writing so much that i want to emulate them um elizabeth moon whose first series i just absolutely uh, the deed of paxinarian i absolutely fell head over heels in love with and um her writing style is very simple and straightforward and and not pretentious at all um and i love that style of writing um i call it effortless reading you know you don't you don't have to it, it, there's nothing in her writing that displaces you from the world that you are in um stephen bruce same way uh his world is a lot more worlds are a lot more fantasy-esque but again his writing is just beautiful um and then Jacqueline Carey because she wears the English language like it's her own suit of clothes and it, her writing is not only effortless reading it's beautiful um it rolls off the tongue like like poetry and, right and her characters are so so wonderful those are the three like I try to emulate and that actually is also very good advice for anyone who's trying to get into writing is read read and and you know not everything is for everybody but find the the established writers and please go after established writers people who really know what they're doing that you love and emulate them i'm not saying copy the copy them but styles sentence structure the plot characterization things like this, these are your, these are your tools and you can learn them from the masters just simply by reading. You don't need a tutor, just simply read and highlight and say, that's a beautiful phrase. Oh my God. Well, you know, start thinking about what made that phrase, what it is and don't copy it, but emulate it. So. Makes sense. When you started, when you started first publishing, how did you get there? Because, you know, a person that's out on the street, you know, the, somebody who's listening to this podcast can be like, I, I can write. I've got all kinds of stuff. How did you get from their point to where you are now? Like, what was what was the a few of the major stepping stones? I don't want to, like, have you walk them through step by step. But what were some of the major things where you're like this? This one thing helped me tremendously to get right. from point A to point B or point B to point C. Right. Um, so stepping stones. I wrote my first effort, which was the Cornerstone Trilogy, and send it off 
to a publisher um, and probably got rejected um, and rightfully so. It was rough, but it was my first effort and I'd written, you know, over almost 300,000 words. So I got past writing that was a good exercise in that it got me past the, the level of, oh my God, I can't write a book. It's just too much. It's just too big, right? Well, so I wrote it. So I took that and sat it off to the side. And then I wrote some other stuff of my own and uh, started sending it out and getting rejections. And then I um, solicited and got an agent. And that didn't work out so well. Not his fault, not my fault, but I just didn't feel that they were working for me. They, were, they weren't not working for me, but it just wasn't working. And that was way back when the very first self-publishing platforms were coming out. This was before eBooks were a thing, before Kindle, before all of that. Um, in fact, they were companies who would publish your book. And a lot of them were scams. Right. But you ended up with a hard cover or hardcover or soft cover book that you could sell. And so I published three novels and I went to conventions, small conventions at first, just with me and my three novels and a couple of cover posters because the cover art was good. One of those was Weapon of Flesh. And I started selling books and talking to people. And I started doing panel discussions and talking to people and meeting people. And I went to Dragon Con and got a, sold a lot of books. I mean, I was this was back in the day when the v vendor hall was in the basement of the uh, of the Hilton <laughs> and literally in the basement. Mm -hmm. And we were right across first day, first year we did it, we were right across from from the Walk of Fame. So we had traffic. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were walking right past and I had good cover art and they'd come over and say, what's this about? And I'd give my steel and we'd sold some books. And, uh, and I met, met some people. One of the people I met was Jonna Oliver who had a series with a, a medium press. And um, she introduced me to the, um, the publisher, Gwen Gates, who's Dragon Moon Press. And I got a series with Dragon Moon Press, the, the um, Simitar Seas novels. And I met a, a great editor, Gabrielle Harbowy, who really improved my writing. I've learned something from every editor I've had. So Which is a good thing. It's absolutely an essential thing. Some of the things you're going to learn is that you just don't mesh sometimes with editors. And it's time to either move on or say, can I have another editor? Um, but Gabrielle and I clicked. And, she, and those novels, those four novels, won me three sequential national awards from, from a, a national magazine that does indie and small press. And that had never been done before. And so I took that experience and I pitched to, I actually got to meet Ed Greenwood. He wrote me a blurb and that got me to Gen Con. And that's when I pitched to Paizo. And then things just started escalating. Nice. Because once you're out there, once you've proven that you can write the book and that people like it and, and that you're not a complete jerk to work with, because that gets around too. If right. you're a prima donna or, or just an ass, you're not going to get a call. Nobody's going right. to walk. You know, Aaron Waddell would not have walked up to my desk, my table at Gen Con and said, hey, you write pirate stuff. Because word will get out if you're a dick. Right, exactly. Come on, exactly. don't be a dick, you know? But it also sounds so, like your, you know, your cover art and stuff helped as well. Like, it did. It totally did, yeah. It's a huge, right. it's a huge sell. We were, you mentioned earlier, because obviously you get done, you, you 
as we said, then you went to Paizo and then all the way through up to where we are now. Sure. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. Like you've got a lot of right. stuff and mm-hmm. you, you, we kind of, you kind of mentioned it earlier, taking on too many projects. Right. Um, how do you balance that? How do you balance when you're like, you can't say no? Um, by saying no, by learning how to say no. And, I, and knowing if you're, if you're going to mesh with a publisher or not, uh, or an editor or something like that, you get a feel for it. If, things, if you're struggling to, to start a project, maybe you need to rethink it. If the chemistry is there and you really are excited about it, go with it. I don't want to say push other projects to the side, but go where your passion is because your writing is going to reflect that and the project's going to reflect that. That said, if something gets dumped in your lap, don't ever just throw it away completely. The, the Dragons of Boston series, when it finally sold to, to um, Falstaff, it was on its third iteration. The, the first one was, I, it was just, I pitched the novel. And then um, I got to talking to Ed Greenwood and I modified the novel to fit in his Helma world that it was a publishing project, um, Ed Greenwood, yeah. you know, publishing. And that publishing project folded just because he didn't sell enough books. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Ed's a prince. I love him. He's one of the most creative minds in the business out there. And um, it just got pushed in too many directions at, at once and went went too many directions and um, some people took care, took advantage of, of Ed and dropped out and, and financially he took it, took, took it in the teeth. And so he just, but being Ed Greenwood and a prince of a man, all the writers got their work back. They just handed it back to him and said, it's yours to publish however you like. So I rewrote it again and pitched it to um, John, I know too many Johns staff <laughs> and he loved it and said, yeah, let's do a series uh, three. And uh, so we did. And the third, the third one is just, just out now um, dragon legacy. Yeah. So it's dragon, dragon dreams, dragon nemesis and dragon legacy. And those, those have great covers, but you're coming out with a new packaging for that, correct? Yeah. They want to repackage it, which I was all behind. Um, John originally packaged it as an urban fantasy well there's no real magic in it even though there's dragons right right uh, it's more of a sciencey genetics kind of a thing and that's a smaller niche genre than urban fantasy so his original his original instinct was to pitch it as ur- urban fantasy and we did and uh but then just recently he came to me and says well, how would you feel about repackaging that as a tech tech thriller science thriller and it's like hell yeah Let's do that. And so they repackage. The, the covers are very different. The covers don't have that urban fantasy look. Right. Um, although the, the original covers were gorgeous and I love them. Right. These, these are a lot more like Dean Kurtz covers. The, the big title and the little bit background and then my name and t- fine print. <laughs> and you had a person that messaged you about the third book, right? Right. Like the ones- that was hilarious. So <laughs> dear, dear, dear friend of mine, a guy I've known for an embarrassingly long time. In fact, we were gaming together in grad school when uh, my wife, Anne and I were gaming with them, him, him and his significant other at the time, his wife now, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> yeah. And uh, he's been a follower of my books from the get go. And one thing, and there are a lot of readers that are like this. This is one of the things that came up with the Paizo books too, because they changed the formatting of the books. 
They were originally just the uh, the the back pocket, you know, paperback, and then they switched to the the mass market paperback. Yeah. And a lot of the readers didn't like that because they don't line up on their shelves. Yeah, you can't put them right next to each other and have them nice right. and perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, my friend Jan, his name is Jan. He called me or messaged me and said, um, "So they're changing the format." can I get the third book in the old format? And I said, no, because they didn't make the cover for it. But him being one of the best friends I have on the planet, I said, look, if it's all about just putting them on your shelves, when I get all three books, I'll just send them to you, you know, in the new format. He says, you don't have to do that. I don't want to pay you for it. Nah, forget it. (laughs) I get them cheap. I'm the writer. (laughs) So so I'll do that for him. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of funny. You know, it's like, Ah, yeah, there is that. So what are you role-playing these days? Talking about uh, role-playing with them and whatnot. I love playing Pathfinder. And we were playing on Roll20 and Discord for the last couple of years with my my go-to um, gaming group, who's in Florida. Um, I started gaming with them when I was working in Florida. My wife and I lived in Florida. And uh, some of the dearest friends I have in the world. And we game together whenever we possibly can. We, we're also playing like on, online uh, cooperative video games as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, don't get me started on Path of Exile. Oh my God, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so we we, uh, we started, see, um, m- my friend Kim is one GM and I'm the other GM for the group. And so we kind of alternate. She's running, she's running one campaign in Pathfinder and I'm running a different campaign in Pathfinder. We also do a lot of board games. We we do a lot of board games on uh, an online platform called Tabletop Simulator. I've seen powered. that. A lot of people talk about it. I, I, I have really? Steam. I just haven't gotten it yet just because yeah, I'm like, there's brilliant. so many board games that they have not on that that I didn't realize the options. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and there are some really cool games that you can play on that. A lot of the Arkham games, you can play um, the Arkham board games on that. Yeah. And uh, and it's fun, really fun. You can actually flip the table too. <laughs> the whole table. Screw it, Grandma. Where'd you get the pink fifties? Sorry, that's an right. old Dane Cook reference. Right. <laughs> when you um when you're role playing, are you doing like first edition or second edition? Do you prefer either or for Pathfinder? Uh, first edition. First edition. Uh, just primarily because that's what I'm familiar with. Right. I, I bought the second edition book. Um, and I also bought Starfinder, which I find fascinating, but I have not played yet simply yeah. because it, to play it the first time, I really feel like I'd have to sit down yeah. at a table and things have been bizarre the last year or so. So right. but I really think I'd like to sit down with a, with my my group and play some Starfinder. What about um, uh, D&D 5th edition? You have any interest in I that or been playing with it. that at all? I've played it. I have never GM'd it because I don't know the game that well. Right. You're, that's my. Um, that's where I'm at. Right. It's a real easy play. It, it's very much like Pathfinder. Um, just a lot of the things, like a lot of the mechanics, were slightly different. And this is something about GMing. We're going to talk about being a good GM. The, the first, the first thing you need to do if you're going to GM is know your players. That right? is. That's my rule. That is. I say that so often. Thank you. And, and for confirming and, that. Well, if you, if you just, I mean, if you're playing for fun, if you're going to conventions and doing pickup games and stuff like that, that's something else entirely. And then you right. kind of have to just change the way you, we, the way you GM. It well, then you have to know the characters. 
right that yeah. they're playing and hopefully that they play them right. somewhat right but uh yeah you know your players and you tail your gm tailor your gming style to what they want out of the game yeah my second rule about gming is you're there to have fun right <laughs> you know no arguing no sitting on your phone and texting while you're playing we're here to play if you're not here to play and have fun i don't need another player i've got you know and that's part of my problem with gming is i have pro problems telling people i already have six players right Seven's just pushing it as to who yeah. I can i've got six games and i've got different people in all those games and you're on the list for people in the next game if i ever have right. one i get that right but uh but i have especially my friends it's like no you can't play yeah that's hard, that's hard to swallow. <laughs> yeah but but anyway you have to cap it somewhere I, I generally don't run more than six players six is is good five is probably easier better but i can run six yeah makes sense but we talked about how hard the last year was how was that for you you sail all around the world and you travel a lot how did how did we were just starting uh, off how did the pandemic affect you sailing wise it was frightening actually we were in mexico intending on coming back to the states anyway when COVID hit uh we were in the the mexican riviera and things were starting to get a little crazy this was in may of last year and we decided we just needed to get back to the states we did not know what was going to happen. Nobody was masking up yet. People were starting to report lots of cases. And part of the reason we jumped off and, and sailed back a little earlier than we probably should have. Uh, oh, and we got our asses handed to us on a silver platter in the Yucatan Channel. The weather was horrific. Um, we got slammed about for about eight hours. Anyway. Um, <laughs> not to the point where it was like dangerous but really super uncomfortable okay anyway so we got back to the, we got back to key west it was a three-day passage and we got a mooring ball at key west and just kind of regrouped and took a deep breath and then two weeks after we got there they closed the port they were not letting anyone into the states through key west and many other ports were closing too from anywhere overseas. Wow. The answer was no, even if you were an American. So if we had stayed there and just kind of cooled our heels, uh, we could have gotten stuck in Mexico uh, throughout the pandemic. Holy cow. So eventually what we probably would have ended up doing is just leaving the boat there at a marina and flying back. But it was, it was touch and go there for a while. So yeah, then we got back to the house. Uh, we have a house in, in the mountains of North Carolina now. So uh, that's kind of our home base. And, yeah. um, and so then <laughs> last summer was just so surreal. I had five or six conventions planned. None of them happened. You know, Dragon Con, Gen Con, my big, here's my new business coming in through the door and nothing happened. Right. Um, I did some online stuff just because it's fun and uh but i didn't sell a lot of books i didn't really publish a lot of new books well through through john at uh, falstaff and i did get through a meeting a new gig the new gig with uh shadow alley so i'm not saying nothing happened but we sat here we did not leave the house except for like once a week to buy groceries 
And uh, we didn't travel. We didn't, I think we went to Florida once late in the summer because my friends were healthy. We were healthy. We'd basically been sequestered up here for weeks. They'd been sequestered, you know, getting their groceries by, by delivery. And I just wanted to see them. And uh, so we went down to Florida once, I think. Um, but it was, you know, I had a lot of time to write. I wrote a, right. lot, a lot of projects that are kind of in the wings, still in kind of the first self-editing thing. I, I tried my first effort at, are you familiar with the term pantsing? Um, yes. People are outliners or pantsers. They write by the seat of their pants. So I had a vague idea of this novel I wanted to write in my own world. And I just sat down and started writing. And I mean, pantsing for some people means something completely different, but I know what you mean. <laughs> in the writing vernacular, <laughs> nothing to do with actual pants. Um, so anyway, and I found out why I am an outliner, because my first draft was just a train wreck. Um, but, you know, it was on paper and you can't edit nothing. So right. that's another adage, you know, it's hard to edit if you haven't written anything. Um, I completely rewrote it at the behest of my wife because she was my first line reader and uh, I have, and I've pitched it to a super, super, super small press. And that was one of those things that the editorial staff and I did not agree. And since I know these people and I respect these people, I didn't want to fight with them. So I backed away. I just said, okay. look, we're not agreeing. And I don't, I don't want to sour our relationship over a book. Right. Because, right. I mean, I can find another publisher, I can, you know, and this is still in its developmental stages. I mean, yes, it's a manuscript. Yes, it's 120,000 words, but that doesn't mean it's done. You know, right. it's done when it's done. And you would have thought, you know, going back to the, the, the pandemic, you would have thought that with everybody home with nothing to do, books would have been flying off the shelves because, you know, they have nothing to do yes. but read. A lot of people did. And a lot of people sold a lot of of books um they really did as ebooks were just going crazy audible was on fire we sold some books i mean they're you know, we're always selling books but right. we didn't have anything just hit you know what i mean real real serious selling sales hits are kind of few and far between i i have still have real super high hopes for the blood sea tales because it's such a good story the characters are so vivid i just love that that series but it hasn't hit it hasn't taken off yet and like i said with with the uh weapon of flesh books the, those the first book in that series sat there for three years before it took off yeah it things happen i mean amazon is the driving force behind these things and you never know what's going to hit you know you get a certain number of of reviews and all of a sudden it gets on the list it's just algorithms People don't even make these decisions. Computers make these decisions, you know, and then it's on this. If you read that, you might like this. You know, if you like pirate fantasy, you might like the Blood Sea Tales. And right. then boom, you get some, some visibility. Some people write your book. Some, they write some more reviews. It gets higher on lists. And as it gets ratcheted up the, the sales chart, it gets more visibility on Amazon. And it's a snowball running downhill. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that, that's why people, that's why the big name writers who, who throw out titles get really fantastic sales on Kindle is because, I mean, if Stephen freaking King writes a self-published book and throws it up on kid, Kindle, 
it gets 100,000 reviews. And that gets you in the top 10. Yeah. You know, boom. It's like New York Times bestsellers, you know? Right. It just happens. It happens before they sell a single book. Right. (laughs) Right. That is, yeah. No, I've I've seen that. I've I've gone in, it's like, how is there reviews for this? It's not even out yet. Right. Well, I'm waiting for mine in the mail. I pre-ordered it. How do they? Advanced copies. People send out, send out, um, arcs advanced reader copies oh yeah so yeah yeah all right so as we're winding down here what you've you've got some events coming up this year now that the pandemic's kind of winding down you're you're gonna be all over the place right right yeah we're doing conventions again this year that's fantastic yeah we did con carolinas i had a great time i always love that convention and a nearby con i hadn't actually planned on going but falstaff is releasing is doing a release party there with the third uh, Dragons of Boston book, Dragon Legacy. And so Continual is uh, at High Point, I think. Okay. I have a reservation there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be there for two days okay. um, and uh, attending, uh, doing one panel discussion, I think. And because it was kind of a last minute thing. And I know the people that run the convention, so they didn't mind if I just you know, showed up. And it was funny because John said, well, you want to come and we'll release a novel there? I said, sure, yeah, I'll just, you know, buy a membership. And he said, no, 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 I can get you a membership. And so he talked to Tara Fulbright, who runs the, the guest relations. And she knows me from doing previous continuals. And she said, well, let me just put you on the list. Do you want to do a panel? I was like, sure. This was like, <laughs> this was like a few days ago, right? Nice. And, the, and the convention's next week. So last minute stuff, you know, I'll be happy to sit in on a panel. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I get to sit on another panelist with Mike Stackpole and talk about writing tie-in fiction for fantasy <laughs> role-playing games. So awesome, you know. Uh, and then, of course, we're doing Gen Con and Dragon Con. And I'm going to my first, oh, I can't remember the name of the con. It's a, it, I just pulled a brain aneurysm. <laughs> and then uh, Multiverse is happening in early October, and that's in Atlanta. I, had a, I went to the first Multiverse uh two years ago and it was fantastic time um it's a very literary con okay a lot of good writing panels and one-on-one we we had a great time they did an awesome thing where writers sit down with people with with new writers or budding writers at in a bar you know in in the hotel bar okay as a drink and they discuss things whatever whatever the the they want to discuss. And the young lady I sat down with wanted, had, had uh, world building um, questions. And so we worked through the, the issues with her world building. Okay. And she was like, eyes this wide. Just, this is fantastic. I said, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I love paying things forward to new writers because there's all these things over the last 20 years of this crazy, crazy business that I've learned that I want to pass on. Right. And, you know, we, we had other writers walk up to little groups of writers and, and say, yeah, I just got my first book deal. And, and, and they're going through their publisher and how the publisher is doing this, this, this. And we're like, oh, be careful, be careful, be careful. Make sure this is a legit publisher. And they're not just roping you in to pay for editing and book marketing and stuff like this. Because if they're asking you to put money, that's how they make their living, not publishing books. Right. Her eyes got wide and she was like, oh, I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So there's lots of sharks out there. So, so at Chris A Jackson one for Twitter. For Twitter, Chris A Jackson one, right? Facebook. Yeah, Chris A Jackson. Make sure you put the A in the middle, otherwise you get. There's a lot of Chris Jacksons out there. There are. But uh, just look for for my picture in a hat with uh, us, my wife and I, when yeah, we were in the Bahamas. That's where that picture's from. Awesome. Well, Chris, so, I'd like to uh, thank you for hanging out. Is there sure. anything else you'd uh, want to want to want to advertise or put out there? Any other items, things you want to say before um, we go? Just, Drop by our website, jacksbooks, that's jaxbooks.com. And uh, we're going to have pages up for the new novel Pacifica with the Fivefold Universe and the um, the covers, the new covers, the new marketing scheme for the uh, Dragons of Boston series. I'd also like to throw out something that I won a Scribe Award last year for a novel I did for another tie-in company, Red Hat Productions, who does the... Adventures of Basil and Mobius, which is very much James Bond meets Cthulhu. So it's, it's <laughs> nice. really fun stuff. It's guns and monsters and and fast cars and loose women and oh, it's just wonderful stuff. It's very very campy and and great. And I'm I'm writing stuff with Eric's got to be and um, Tim Zahn and um, Richard Lee Byers and Ryan Schiffen, who's the creator of this fantastic fantastic world um and it's just it's just wonderful so yeah last year i got i i won the scribe award for the best tie-in short story for a novel i did or a, a project i did for one of their anthologies and it just floored me i was so so flabbergasted that i'd won um, awesome well thank you for having yeah. uh, spending some time with us yeah. and uh we're glad you're here uh, those of us who are in our live stream, we're going to answer some questions here in a bit. But for those listening to the podcast, thank you for listening to sure. Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.